Welcome, my friend. That so this, sound makes me happy. Yes, it does. You look happy, my friend. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this fine radio program. It is smoking and toasting. It's show number 92. This is the program that's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. And uh, this is show number uh, 92, which I think I mentioned. We're brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Uh, thanks, by the way, to B&B's Jeremiah Butler, who was our special guest last week, who is always... That bacon was so good. So oh. much fun to have on. Oh, my God. Uh, the bacon. I'm still, still tasting the bacon. So <laughs> we're doing this for the first time uh, that we've ever tried this on the show, but so far, so good. Ian... Uh, my erstwhile partner on Smoking and Toasting is uh, several states away from us. He is in Florida, and he <laughs> he is looking way more comfortable than I'm looking, and that's just wrong. That's wrong on so many levels. Well, you guys look pretty comfortable in the studio with your headphones on and and, lots and your of, four walls around you. Yeah, and lots of uh, uh, bottles of goodies between us. Yeah, okay, so I'm a little jealous there. Yeah, well, you're getting to have a cigar during the show, so I'm jealous of you as well. He's, he's smoking in Florida. We're toasting here in Houston at yeah, 100 degrees. That's so. right. So, <laughs> so, that is uh, the way to look at it. Uh, say, uh, Ian, say hello to Greg Duxakis. Greg is from Mason Ferran. How are you? Uh, sorry I'm not there with you, but I'm actually not that sorry that I'm... <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Maison Ferran, did I say it correctly? Maison Ferran, yes, sir. Maison Ferran uh, is a spirits company that distributes spirits from a number of... Of different spirit makers, is that correct? No, no, no. no okay, no. We, so correct. We, we produce everything. You, so everything you make is is your own lineup of brands. We are spirits producer. Okay, so well, I have to say just before we start, and Ian will back me up on this. You guys make one of my absolute all time go to, never without it, uh, spirits, and that is the Plantation pineapple rum i forget about it my wife and i have a, we are never without a bottle of that at home if we are something has gone you turned me wrong. on to that a long yeah. time ago and my wife keeps a bottle of it on the shelf at what, all time it was on one of the first 10 episodes of the show i think uh, i brought a bottle of it in and it was something we ran into almost by accident a bartender i think um asked my wife if she'd tried it when she was at a uh, a, a party or something at a bar and uh poured it and she loved we've always loved rum anyway and i was like she's like oh it's plantation rum i'm like oh plantation's great but i don't know about pineapple she goes no no buy, <laughs> buy a bottle so uh so we bought a bottle and you know learned that it wasn't one of those sort of sweet infused kind of uh spirits but it was one it's not a fla- it is, it's not a flavored rum it's right, a true it's not a, exactly yeah. and and so it's uh, it's just it's just absolutely wonderful are you clinking around glasses over there ian is that what that is it's a secret oh okay <laughs> i gotcha i gotcha well i figure at some point in time you guys will be talking about something delicious that you were tasting yes and I wanted to prepare to talk about something delicious that I'm tasting. Okay, I think that will work. And now so you're, you're I'm doing research here is what's actually going yes, on. Yes, and it's important to do research because, it, as we all know, spirits can taste different depending on where you are. It takes dedication to do research like this. Yes, and and I think it's important uh, to point out how dedicated you are, and you're you're that kind of a guy. Ian, uh, you are getting to enjoy a cigar as we. Uh, open the show here. So tell us about what you're smoking today. First of all, where are you before you, before you explain your cigar? Because because that's part of it, right? <laughs> I'm in St. Petersburg. Okay. Now I have uh, 
uh, some friends that moved here mm-hmm. last year and got a house and they got a great place. So you can see if I move a little bit this way, I think, or this way you can see the pool in the background. Yep, yep, yep. You get this great little backyard. The weather is beautiful. It's like 90 degrees with a little breeze. You probably hear it going by the speakers a little bit. Um, yesterday, we woke up in the morning and went down to Ybor City, which, which is, is like the cigar capital. Yes. And wandered up and down the street. And let me tell you how much fun that is. Yeah. It is a blast and you can walk into all these little cigar shops now i posted some videos yesterday one of them of a lady doing some cigar rolling right there on the spot i just walked in and they have signs everywhere encouraging you take pictures use your cameras you know like they want you to see this that's where i got this cigar from and it's actually from the um tabanero cigars okay tampa's tabanero cigars okay Mm -hmm. and they had a selection of uh cigars up there so i picked one out and there it is, just like and the logo. I'm trying on the page. It now. This is a very traditional cigar flavored cigar at the moment. I love saying that, by the way. A cigar flavored cigar? As, yes, as non specific as that is, it also tells you a lot about this, the taste uh-huh. of the cigar. No, that's right. That's Weirdly right. Enough. But this has a great, like, cedar and wood dryness to it on the finish that is fantastic and goes well with the beverages. Now, my understanding is that um, Greg has. Um, maybe shifted what he might normally bring on a show like this and tried to bring in things that he uh, understands that cigar lovers like to pair. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, we, you know, we got the, the full range of spirits here, but I, as I was leaving the house today, I thought to myself, you know, what is it the ones that we usually take to cigar events or that my cigar-smoking friends enjoy the most? And that's mm-hmm. what I tried to grab up. Okay, so this is going to be really interesting. I see a number of rums. I see some cognac here. And I see this, uh, this uh, gin as well. Now, the Citadel gin... Do you find people pairing a gin with cigars quite a bit now? Not that one. I brought yeah. that one for a reference point, but okay. we have a limited release Old Tom gin that oh. has been a real hit. In fact, uh, people uh, know people they're they're calling it just uh, the sippers gin. It's it's a oh. little on the sweet side, and it's been aged in six different kinds of barrels. Uh, but it just uh, it does a nice little lovely pairing with cigars. Well, that'll be that'll be fun. That to seems to be that seems to be a little bit of a trend right now with aging gin, which you know I don't think you'd see that very often, but Five, ten years ago, even. Uh, 200 years ago, you would have seen it a lot. <laughs> really? So, oh, yeah. okay, they they, they, that, they yeah. had to store it in something. Gone, yeah. Gin has gone through its ups and downs in popularity. Well, I, but I, but I think it's coming back up. 200 years ago, they did it out of necessity. Now it's a style of gin, yeah. if you will. And, and, right. for, and for the record, we were one of the first on the scene in, in the modern uh, um, aging. The modern era. gin era, yeah. Well, in the modern age gin era. What's, not with this one, but we have a reserve, which is basically the uh, exact same uh, citadel as the, excuse me, I think gin as the citadel, with a few extra botanicals, and we're using six different kinds of barrels to age it and we have like a 10 foot wooden egg that we uh we blended in wow a in 10 France. foot wooden egg 10 foot wooden egg ah and and what is the That's... what's the purpose of the egg is, is, is does the shape add something special to the blending or is it just a kind of cool thing to do or <laughs> sorry I, I just for a moment there my brain shut down because here comes the science yeah uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's actually something that the the japanese started doing with their whiskeys you know the japanese make very good whiskeys yes um and uh, they are a blending style uh, it's, a, it's a solera vat it's made of wood and we had the terran sod uh, um 
uh, a cooperage in, 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 in Cognac, build us uh, an egg. It's a wooden egg made from uh, French oak. Uh, there's no char on the inside, so it's not actually aging anything. It's just where we're going to put the uh, aged product in to blend and to marry and get to know each other. And I, I'm going to, oh God, I know there's someone in France is going to say, no, you're getting this wrong. But it's something with about the Earth's gravitational pull works with the egg just to help the spirit blend a little bit better. No kidding, no really. Kidding. You're right, it is science. So it's... So it's not suspended in there. You just let it sit in there, and it does its thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, interesting. I gotta try and pull up a picture wow. of it. That's that is really interesting. Uh, do you think? Um, do you think gin is on the? I, I would say, based on my observation, that gin is one of the spirits that's really on the rise right now. Would you gaining agree popularity? Absolutely. Man, yeah. we we see so many cool things. You know, we're seeing local gins. We're seeing gins produced in countries that don't normally produce gin. Uh, you know, of course, you have your classic London dries and some modern twist on London dries. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you're seeing a lot of cool things out there. And, and what, we're, we're very bad at, uh, what we're very proud about with Citadel is even though it's made in France, um, it's still a classic dry. This is not what we call a Western gin. Right. Where Western gin is typically a little light on the juniper. Um, this is going to be a very juniper forward spirit, but not juniper dominant. We make in the exact same stills we make in our, our cognac in France. Uh, and there's 19 botanicals. But of those 19 botanicals, 90% of the flavor influence is going to be juniper. The other 18 botanicals are like backup singers. Think of, <laughs> think of it as like Beyonce. And she's got a, a backup singers and dancers beyond, behind her. People are still there to see Beyonce, but the backup singers make it the show all the more better. That's juniper uh, juniper is glad they of had, night, and the others are the pips. Yeah, right. And, and complexity, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely there. But it's not super dominant like some of your classic gins where a lot of people just don't like that pine right, tree type right, thing. Right, right, right. But that's definitely a, a juniper forward gin. Well, I think we'll start next segment when we start the tasting. We'll uh, open with gin because we very seldom do that uh, on the show. In fact, we really don't taste enough gin on the show. So this is going to be uh, this is going to be a treat. And maybe we'll start with your standard and then and then try the age. So so that uh, that should be that should be fun. Yeah, Ian, tell me just a little bit before we wrap the first segment about the cigar. You're uh, you're a little ways into now. So this cigar, and now that I am, but, uh, oh, about three quarters of an inch to an inch into it, is developing flavor. It's got very toast, very. It's got a dryness to it. That I'm really enjoying. It's it's a very almost campfire kind of dryness to it. Very what you'd expect from a classic Cuban uh, style cigar. Um, and uh, it's burning perfectly here uh, the wrapper is beautiful and gorgeous not very oily it's fantastic so far were you worried uh, at all that it would be more of a you know when you go into a shop like that and it's you're not dealing with one of the big you know international brand names we worried a little bit about it being more of a quote unquote house brand and not being as high a quality a cigar or could you tell even making the purchase that it was going to be good so my initial response, and I hate to admit this, is when you look at them and they look um, not like the big house brands overall. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. a couple places I walked into, they didn't even have bands on their cigars. They didn't bother with them. Wow. Um, and, and you have to get over that initial lack of labeling right. shock because the problem is it looks like your bargain bin cigars at that mm-hmm. point. But this is smoking like a primo cigar right here. Now, this is about a, this is a mild to medium uh, a cigar, and I just decided to try something. I've got a couple here. If I get through this in the show, I've so, got another one. But, um, but yeah, there was a little bit of that because it looks a little, it looks a little, you know, less production. Right. So, but right. this is 
I mean, it looks great, feels great. What about what about price? Was it uh, expensive, inexpensive? This was a six dollar cigar. All right, so you know about and what so a six dollar cigar should be like, yeah. And so far, this is far beyond a six dollar cigar. Well, good. I'm we'll glad see how it develops as we go along. So, uh, I wanted to give a quick shout out, by the way, to someone who apparently all of us uh, know here, and that's our buddy uh, Chris Hart, who uh, has been on the show a number of times and is Love that guy. most likely watching today. Uh, you were uh, on your way to Florida yesterday, or already in Florida, actually, uh, drinking and smoking, uh, and I was on Chris's show. He does his own show called Whiskey Neat, and it's available at whiskeyneat.com and uh, in the uh, suite of podcasts and other goodies at uh, culturemap.com. I've, I've been on that show and I, I just want to say for the record how impressed I am with the setup here. I'm not like those bums over at Whiskey Neat. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Amateurville, population of Christopher Hart, right? <laughs> No, I'm kidding. No, Chris is great. We're kidding. He's no. a good man. Well, well Chris, uh, Chris was kind enough to have me on the show, even though you were uh, unavailable uh, yesterday, Ian. And by the way, apparently I didn't screw up too bad because we're both invited back when you, uh, you know, oh, when that's you return. Good. That's good. So, yeah. So, but no, we had fun. We tasted some rum and some whiskey, and, and uh, he even brought a couple of beers just because I was on the show and he knows uh, that I'm a fan of craft beer. But, uh, but then after the show, we went out uh, over to uh, Stogie's, a place place for cigars and uh, uh, for a couple hours sat and talked and hung out with some of his friends and he gave me an E.P. Carrillo Perez Carrillo La Historia Dona Alenia. Uh, there's a lot of names in there. The uh, This is the one, the E.P. Carrillo, that has the little sort of baby blue band around the foot. You know, mm-hmm. you know the one I'm talking about? And, uh, I do. He was, uh, he was kind enough to give it to me, and I was uh, kind enough to smoke it. And it was, a, it was a pretty good experience. I have to say, I had smoked one of these a while ago, and I, I don't remember... A whole lot about it like i don't remember not liking it but i don't remember thinking oh wow and being blown away so it was really cool to be able to smoke this one nice and slow and i did and in fact it did really uh blow me away it was a san andreas maduro wrapper an ecuadorian uh, sumatra binder nicaraguan fillers so it's kind of put together from all over the place it was medium to full uh pre-light was leather and soft tobacco first half an inch or so though was not really all that remarkable and so i was thinking okay i maybe i maybe i just didn't maybe just didn't wow me and then boy about a half inch in here came the flavor nice maduro sweetness some notes of cedar and dark ripe cherries also some chocolate and dark coffee flavors along with a hint of leather it was a very rich and fairly mellow smoke if that's possible for a medium to full for it to be mellow and and kind of medium full at the same time uh it's about a well ten- being full flavored and smooth is a nice yes. balance to yeah. have isn't it it's about a ten dollar cigar i'd say price to quality at least a five and a half i'd have i'd have been willing to pay a buck or two more more for that uh so so i would say at least a five and a half greg the way our sort of price to quality index works is that on a scale of one to ten a five means you're getting exactly what you paid for so if it's a ten dollar cigar and you're like it's worth exactly ten dollars and in your opinion you'd give it a five if you give it more than a five it means yeah it smoked like an even more impressive more more impressive cigar um one of the biggest ratings that uh, ian's ever given on price to quality scale was actually to a black and mild uh but he gave it a high rating simply because he enjoyed it a lot more than the 49 cents that it cost and and, and what beer were you on when he gave that rating <laughs> 
Uh, you know, I don't remember exactly, but, <laughs> but what was funny is Chris Hart was sitting right where you were and was was cracking up at this review that I had. He was actually so, rooting for it to get a 10. My defense of the, yeah. In my defense of the black and mild, knowing that it's a cheap cigar and going into it, I enjoyed it immensely. I was sitting with friends. And we might have been playing uh, Scategories or something like that. There's no telling, you know, but I enjoyed it immensely, hanging out with friends and having cigars and drinks. We had a blast. Well, uh, So that added to it. Plus, it's hard when it's not bad at 49 cents or whatever it is. It's yeah. hard to rate that low. Yeah, you're right. It would have to be pretty bad to get less than a five <laughs> at 49 cents. Right. All right. It's smoking and toasting. Uh, it's show number 92. Uh, the title of today's show is People Who Drink Are More Reliable. I have some uh, proof to back that statement up coming up uh, later in the show. Plus, I love that. Plus, are you ready for spirits that have been infused with. Uh, Secretions from beavers? I'll tell you all about it coming up on uh, Smoking and Toasting. Stand by. I love the look on your face, Ian. <laughs> I'm a little speechless by that. You know, and it's funny because I read over the show notes from Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Smoking and Toasting, our second segment of show number 92. We are brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in uh, Fort Worth. Shout out to Jeremiah. Uh, we will be headed to Fort Worth uh, soon. We're working out the details on that now, now for doing a live show. I was there last month. That location. At the Fort Worth location? Beautiful store. How is it? Because I, I love the Houston location, but haven't been up there yet. It's so. different. It's, it's a little bit more Dallas, if you will. Yeah. You know, it's, I, it's, it's, it's a more makes sense. It's a more of a modern, uh, like we know we see those uh, uh, shopping centers, not shopping centers, but like the areas that have a lot of cool shopping, a lot of cool right, restaurants. Like and that a sort little, of thing. Yeah. It's more like that, but very, very upscale, very cool. Whereas this one here is more brick and, brick and mortar butcher, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Sure, sure. And Jeremiah, by the way, is a very good friend of mine also. He's, he's, a, uh, he's, he's one of our, one of our favorite guests, and, and he is a beautiful man, is he not? Yes. He's a beautiful man. I can say that. Um, all right, let's just he's get... He's a lot of fun. There's, it's like a party every time he's on the show. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Let's just get this out of the way. Castorium. Castorium. Can you say that, Ian? Castorium? Castoria? Castorium. C-A-S-T-O-R-E-U-M. Castorium. It's a strong-smelling secretion that comes from the castor sacs found near the base of a beaver's tail. It is FDA-approved as a food additive... And now you can buy whiskey that has been infused with castor. Right, I have a question. Yes. I have a question. First off, who figured out that that's a food additive? <laughs> who was the person that said, hey, beaver butt sweat. Let's try it. It's it's kind of like the people. He, he knows exactly what yeah. I'm thinking. Well, it's kind of like the people that get high from licking the back of a frog. <laughs> like, how many other animals did they lick that didn't work before they got to the frog. Let's try a turtle. Mm, yeah. Nothing. I, nothing. Like, Let's try a frog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I tried the mongoose. No luck. Nothing. Do yeah. anything? Nothing. No luck. Uh, the knowledge comes courtesy of a piece from Mike Pomerantz from Food and Wine. He spots, uh, spotlights a nice little beaver musk whiskey. You can't make this stuff up. From Tamworth Distilling of New Hampshire. Now, uh, castorium is an FDA-approved food additive. That's actually how this spirit came about. His team there was looking to develop a new spirit, and in hopes of securing a speedy all-clear from the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, they went straight to the FDA's list of ingredients that had been approved and were already considered safe, and castorium caught their attention. 
Uh, so the head distiller said in a statement, he said, there was a time when it was ubiquitous and used widely as a flavoring agent and in perfume. I was curious what it would taste like in one of our unreleased bourbons, so we tried it and it worked beautifully. So let's address the questions that you most obviously have. For that, I have gone to snopes.com, uh, which is a good place to dis- you know to disperse any untrue uh, rumors that may uh, exist surrounding this. Uh, according to Snopes, getting a beaver to produce castorium for purposes of food processing is not easy. Food, foodies who are bent on acquiring some of this sticky stuff, their words, not mine, uh, to anesthet- have to anesthetize the animal and then milk its nether regions. Play some Barry White, <laughs> get it in the mood. <laughs> Apparently, it is It is also used in a perfume thanks to an aroma that is musky with notes of vanilla. But again, I'll just go back to your question, which is the best one of the day. Like, who who, who went first? Who went first? <laughs> How did it happen? Musky with notes of vanilla. You know you can get notes of vanilla from, from vanilla. From yes. vanilla, right. <laughs> and, and there's there's no anesthetizing or milking of nether regions involved. So. Yeah. yeah, so I'm glad we got that out of the way, uh, and I'm glad we're now moving to gin, which includes milking no, of nether regions, nether regions, right? Yeah, which includes no castoriums. <laughs> that's so gonna make one hell of a hashtag right yeah. there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, so, Greg, are we going to start with uh, your uh, with your Citadel? Is that well, is that the you, first? You can if you want, but have you had it before? I've had it before. Yeah. I think so, it's delicious. By the way, but, Ian, I know your wife's a big fan of the Citadel, isn't she? Yes. So. Um, my tasting notes on that are it makes a great martini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, it has that juniper flavor, but a little more depth of character to it, which is really interesting. But it's not a big, super juniper-y kind of flavor, but it does have a nice floral scent and profile to it. Yeah. Uh, it makes a nice, dirty martini. Yeah, uh, my, my favorite- wife has been trying to kick that bottle's butt for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my favorite way is with just a just a, a Gibson, you know, just uh, the dirt, the martini oh, yeah. with the, just a little bit of the dry vermouth and mm-hmm. a nice little cocktail, and I'm a happy man. Uh, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So uh, so do you want to jump then to the old Tom? Yeah, yeah. Let's try. Let's jump there. So, so tell me tell me what is uh, what's special? I love on the front it says no mistake, old Tom Jen. What does that mean, and, and why is this? Uh, what's done to this that makes it special? Well, it's way sweeter than your typical Old Tom, and that was on purpose. It was no mm-hmm. mistake. We wanted to do something different. And, and Old Tom uh, vary in flavor and flavor profile, but typical Old Tom is going to be aged just slightly with a little bit of a sugar note, but typically a white sugar note. Not mm-hmm. bad, but and, 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 and you wouldn't call it forward sweet, but it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do something different, and by the way, this is a limited product. We only got it, they made it one time. We, it is available in Texas right now, but... Uh, it's gone, it's gone. So you can find this. Let me go yeah. ahead and show the front of the box to the camera here. So if anyone's looking for this, you know what it looks no like mistake. and how to find it. Yeah, no mistake. Uh, uh, Citadel Extremis number one. Yeah, we we just got it in and and, and so, you know uh, God, I got I want to stop just short of, of giving an address of some of the big stores, but sooner or later they will be on the shelves there. But uh, I know Premier over there off of uh, Yale. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know they have it on the shelves out there. But anyway, um, oh also our friend Alex Lee out there in. Uh, um, in uh, uh, NASA liquor, I'm pretty sure they have it on the shelves too. But anyway, so um, what we did with this one is 
we took our reserve gin. Let me back up a little bit and tell you about the Citadel Reserve. The Citadel mm-hmm. Reserve is a aged gin that we make. And the first time we did it was in 2009. And it was just the straight up 19 botanicals we used in the Citadel when we were using once used Pierre Ferron cognac barrels to age it. And it was good, but there was just still something just not quite there. We knew that it could be better. And in 2011, we started uh, adding more botanicals to it. We started uh, uh, expanding on the aging process. Um, and what we did, the botanicals, the, we used three botanicals uh, extra. One was yuzu, which is a, uh, a Japanese uh, citrus. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that. They use it in some of the Japanese liqueurs, yes. too. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what else? We have uh, cornflower, which is a bittering agent. And also, we use uh, the secretion. Uh, it's it's from a <laughs> gland of duck, duck, duck genitals. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. No, 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 no. No, no. no. That, uh, uh, this is going to be a good long-running you know? joke. Yeah. <laughs> no, the... Uh, the third, oh, wow, I gotta erase that. Uh, where did I say? I said it. We said uh, the yuzu citrus, the cornflower, yes. and genipe is a third extra botanical. Genipe. Which uh, does sound kind of suspicious in terms of just its name. Well, genipe is a, a very herbaceous agent that is actually one of the main profiles of uh, chartreuse. Oh, okay. Right. Gotcha. So we add those to it, and now we're going to age it in six different kinds of barrels. We're using used uh, Pierre Front barrels that are Troncé oak and also Lemazine oak. We're using uh, barrels that held our Pinot de Charente uh, uh, dessert wine. We're using chestnut, acacia, cherry oak. Uh, and when they all get to spend time inside those barrels, uh, then we're going to blend them all. Actually, the gin will go from barrel to barrel to barrel. So we're not blending different barrel aging. They will, each, each gin will spend time in each barrel. Then it gets added to the uh, big wooden egg, and we let it blend uh, for a while the before we bottle it. Right. The now, big wooden egg. Right. So that's the reserve. With this, it's going to be basically that same gin, but we are adding uh, some what we call sucre toast. Sucre toast is toasted sugar that we make at the distillery, which is a, a really nice dark sugar that we age with cognac. Put it in barrels and let it age years. And it's what we use uh, for our dosage, which is we're going to sweeten some of our other uh, um, uh, uh, spirits. But whereas we're just using like an eyedropper's worth per liter in those mm-hmm. other spirits, this one we used quite a bit. Well, is that the reason it has more of an amber color? Because I'm used to gin being, you know, a little more of a clear uh, type of spirit. A little bit. It's a little bit darker than the reserve, but that's going to come from A, that dark sugar, but also it's going to spend that extra time in the barrel to age. Okay. So the it's aging, a combination of The aging both. will, will yes, cause it to, to take on more of the color as well. Well, It, it looks like, and I'm just I'm just looking at the video here, but it also looks like it's got a little more legs to it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, the, 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 the sucre um, toast is going to add some viscosity to it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this is no liqueur. We're, we're stopping short of a liqueur here, but it just for a uh, um, for a, a an old tom, it's 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 a little bit extra sweeter than usual. It is. Uh, it is very fragrant on the nose. It's much like. Like if you walked into someone's garden that had a lot of really exotic flowers and, you know, uh, tropical uh, flowers that were, you know, like the heavily scented kind, that's kind of what it reminds me of. It's very, it's very both earthy and, and floral kind of at the same time. I, uh, I, I love it on the nose. It's really, mm. and it delivers um, on the front exactly that. But on the but on the finish, there you get that sweetness. That what did you call the the sugar that you sucre do? toast? It's toasted S- sugar in French. The to- toasted sugar. You yeah. you couldn't describe it better than that. Actually, uh, it is a toasted sugar. In fact, it almost I'll almost say that on the finish, it reminds me a little of cinnamon toast. 
you know, just a little well, of that sort of. There's cinnamon like, in the gin, buttery. So it's one of the botanicals. Yeah, that sort of, <laughs> you know, but you know what I'm talking? That sort of buttery, butter and cinnamon and and sugar that's on the, the uh, that's on a really good piece of cinnamon toast. Um, this is delicious. So I, I very much now for, I've had some I've had some uh, some aged gins before, and I haven't experienced this one, but I've noticed that they're not really. Uh, I haven't found them to be cocktail friendly, but they are delicious on their own. So I, I, what I would say about that, especially with our reserve, is that I find that it works well in cocktails that you might use whiskey. Hmm. Um, oh, wow. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Uh, something in fact, like an, an old-fashioned or something? Like? Uh, I uh, sure. Old-fashioned, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, honestly, uh, wow, it makes a, a tremendous uh, Negroni. It's, mm-hmm. And with the, with that aged aspect of the wood, it's somewhere in between a Boulevardier and a Negroni. I want to describe the wow, sweetness okay. of this because it's not sweet. You know, when he initially was talking about a much sweeter gin, I was actually a little bit worried that I that it might not be to my palate, but it absolutely is. And the sweetness is more like the sweetness of of a simple syrup that's on, that's on the finish. It's not a uh, it's it's not a, a floral sweetness necessarily. There's floral. In the beginning, when you when you first you know on, on the very front end, and then the sweetness that follows is not it's not that sort of more sickly sweet floral. It's, not it's more of a yeah, it's not cloying at all. And that's this is a very very delicious gin and very different actually from any other one that I've had. Well, that that's our goal. Yeah. Yeah. but uh, no. So because- I just took a sip, and it, you know, we ever had like a, a lemon square with the powdered sugar on top? Yes, right in the middle of the tongue. That's what it tasted like to me, mm-hmm. just for a brief moment. Absolutely, yeah. and it's also got great complexity. Because I'm not there, I'm going to need you to. I'm going to need you to put your hands together like this when you're done with the show and save me a sip. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know what you'll like about this, Ian, is the complexity. It has a distinctly different beginning. And then in the middle, what he was talking about on the tongue, there's that definite tongue flavor like that lemon square thing. And then on the finish, there's this completely different sort of uh, sweetness. I, I'm uh, very well, you impressed. Know, I love libations that have that full ride across the palate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sometimes when they're one-dimensional, they're all up front, they're all aftertaste, drives me a little crazy, but uh, I love that yeah. full ride across. The now, when spirits are brief, it's disappointing. I don't know how good... How does it do with the cube of ice? Uh, you know what? Um, I know one fella uh, that was... That he, he says that he likes it just like that. He drinks it with, like, it's like the big, like, uh, the clear ice, like fat ice, and drinks it just like that, and he mm-hmm. likes it. I personally have never tried it that way. I've drinking it by itself. And I, but I'm a cocktail guy. I'm a boozy cocktail guy. So I'm like, you know, make me something like uh, one of my favorites is the hanky panky, which is going to be gin with uh, a bar spoon of fernet and some sweet vermouth. And I love this one, the hanky panky. So, but I know a guy that loves it a lot. Like that. Uh, I don't know how this is going to work in terms of a segue, going from one thing that has uh, some sweetness uh, to another. But in this segment, I did want to taste uh, uh, one of our beers for today, which is the Kirsch Goza. This is. From Victory, and I will be honest with you, I have sampled this before because I was in Specs and they were doing a sampling, and I I saw the can. I was like, well, it's from Victory. I'll try anything that Victory makes because they are that impressive a uh, a brewery. They're from Downingtown, Pennsylvania, and I used to live uh, only a few miles from the brewery and was always impressed. But but this is a very different thing than Victory usually makes, Ian, because they're very much into you know the the super hoppy IPAs and the uh, the very very big you know imperial stouts and things of that nature. So yeah, they have like Hop Devil and yeah, 
and quite a few others like yes. that that so, are pretty unforgiving on the hot. So this Goza, uh, I thought, would be a very different experience. And then it's a sour cherry beer. And it says here, beer blended with cherry juice and coriander. But I know these guys are, are really quality. Like, I'm not expecting something gimmicky. Uh, uh, from, and it from looks watermelony flavored, like it, just the color of it. Yeah, it really does. It and has that almost pinkish kind of mm-hmm. It's right on. here. Yes, right I don't in. know whether you got uh, uh, whether you picked up that on that on the camera, but hitting right here, you get that. That's where the sour kind of hits you. Yeah, and, and it's a on delicious. On the outside edges of the tongue, and then right as you swallow, it's a delicious sort of sour, which reminds me a lot of a really good sour cherry pie. You know, where it's got where the where the cherries have got the sour underneath the sort of sweetness of the, of the sugar of the pie. It's really quite delicious. It's very good. It's very refreshing, uh, but it is very flavor forward. It's not a, it's not being shy at all about the cherry. Let's just say that. I was ready to hate this when when, mm-hmm. when it was like wild cherry mm-hmm. goes. I mean, and uh, to be perfectly honest, I am uh, I'm not that deep in beer. I don't know beer that well as well as I do spirits, but uh, just uh, I found about Goza for the first time last week when Pasha uh, um, over at uh, uh, Rosewater in Clear Lake mm-hmm. had sent me a recipe, and it's called the Summer Salt. It's using our 1840 cognac, our Stiggins fancy rum, mm-hmm. some lime, some simple syrup, and built over ice topped with Goza. I go, what is Goza? I had never heard of it before. Yeah. He had to explain to me what it was, so this is my actually first time trying it. A whole lot of companies are producing Gozas this summer, it seems like. He Goza that. is kind That's of That's becoming a very popular yeah. style yeah, now. Yeah, becoming the summer the summer style for beer. So, uh, in fact, we've had one. This is the third week in a row, Ian, that we've had a Goza on the show. So, um, so very interesting. I have a can of this uh, uh, saved cold in my refrigerator for you for when you return, my friend. So. We will have to review. Yes, we will have to review. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I think maybe we shift to rum. Uh, you guys make uh, some some rums that I'm already familiar with and very excited about. Uh, and, you know, the whole plantation line is just, uh, man, this is quality stuff. So we're going to get to that, plus uh, more beers to taste. As a matter of fact, uh, Ian, we're going to be sampling the Hemperer. It is a... Uh, it is emperor? The Emperor, uh, with an the H. The Emperor. Yes. It's from New Belgium. It's one of their first beers that is uh, brewed with both uh, hops and hemp. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to that coming up uh, in our next segment. Uh, plus, I still have to tell you why people who drink are actually more reliable than those who don't. Scientific proof, or at least the proof of a research study. That's almost as interesting as beaver butt whiskey. Yeah, not quite, but uh, (laughs) I'm wondering if we should just call the show Beaver Butt Whiskey and be done with it. You know, uh, that's a hashtag to uh, to compete with. All right, we'll be back at Smoking and Toasting. You're listening to show number 92. FYI. Welcome back, my friends. It's smoking and toasting, and you're you're uh, you're welcome to uh, to come crashing in anytime, Ian. That's uh, that's uh, you know for those of you that we haven't explained, Ian's on Skype today. This is the first time we've tried this on the show, and it seems to be working great actually. So I'm uh, I want to thank John Whiteside, our uh, technical director here, uh, as well as Adam on the Wheels of Steel for for making this happen. But yeah, there's always going to be a little uh, lag time on Skype. So uh, like if I say something insulting about Ian, you'll see him not look you know responsive to it and then a second later he'll you know 
he'll respond and either agree or, or disagree. So uh, that's just the way the show will work today. Yeah. <laughs> You you're doing a good job being he, the that is co- correct. Chris. <laughs> He's doing the I hear you not. Yes, I yes, hear you not. Yes, I hear you not. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's perfect. You're trying to be like the, the news media, you know, when they're on location. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and the hey, awkward hesitation. Hey, uh, Ian, the Deep Ellum Brewery in Dallas has been acquired. However, it's been acquired, so we'll have to see how we feel about this. It has not been acquired by AB InBev or by one of the big companies. It's been acquired by a Colorado-based collective of craft brands. Uh, terms of the deal have not been announced, but officials with the Canarchy Craft Brew Collective, which also includes Oscar Blues, Wasatch, Squatters Craft, Perrin, and Cigar City Brewing, which is about... Uh, uh, 30 minutes from where Ian's sitting right now. Uh, they Interesting. Said, they said the Deep Ellum is coming onto their line right away with the company. Deep Ellum is the third largest craft brewery in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and they are joining the ninth largest craft brewery in America. Um, like many of this uh, group's previous acquisition, Deep Ellum's been in a pretty significant growth mode. We've tried a number of their beers uh, here on the show, and uh, they increased their production 37% in 2017. And uh, they're in the process of adding a 60-barrel wow. brew house at their main Dallas facility and opening a tap room in uh, Fort Worth. Now, they have been distributing only in Texas, primarily within 20 miles of the brewery, although uh, I know I, we found them at Specs and other places here. Uh, but the acquisition by Canarchy will allow it to grow pretty rapidly outside of Texas, and the Deep Ellum people are saying they really feel good about it and feel like it was the right move. So... Canarchy uh, not being a big distributor, does it change the way you feel about it at all, Ian? Is it? I mean, it's basically a craft beer collective, so these are like-minded folks, right? You would assume that to me seems like it's it's an opportunity. You know, I don't really know a lot about what a collective is, but it sounds to me like it's an opportunity for a company to get bigger without having to be owned under that big parent. Um, right monster company yeah and you know you know i mean this, this uh, so is america I'd there's have to look into that and see this is america there's nothing really Blondale's delicious so we'll yes. see does yes. it change yeah well, and that's the thing. It's like if if some of these, uh, you know, Wicked Weed and some of these guys that have been acquired by the big boys, if they can go through the acquisition and not lose the quality of their beer, um, I, I you got to think that. Deep Ellum could do the same being acquired by these guys. I will say, by the way, I was out at a Papacitos uh, this week, uh, my wife and some friends and I, and they had on their menu the Carbach Big and Bright IPA, and that's what mm-hmm. I had. That is a fantastically delicious IPA. And that was one yeah. they didn't even release until after they were, you know, owned by uh, AB InBev. So there's still great beer happening at a lot of the places that are owned by the big boys. It's just, I think it's more. I think at this point, it's more a moral question than anything else, don't you? So the other question is: Does the does the collective just allow them more resources to be creative? I think so, and it or allows the them to dis- it allows them also to distribute outside of 
the distribution avenues that they already have in place. I think, right, and so. continue to grow. And does it let the does it let it run mm-hmm. a lot like it used to run? Right, is another question too. Right, I know Oscar Blues makes great beer. Oh, the, the like, I'm Dale's a big Pale fan Ale. Of Oscar Blues. Dale's Pale Ale is one of the most delicious beers out there. Just fantastic. Absolutely, the Gubna. Oh yeah, the uh, the old chub. The old chub. Fantastic. Yeah, the old chub. Thank you. That's good. That's good stuff. Um, uh, Greg uh, Desakis from uh, Maison Ferrand is here. How old is your company? How long has Maison been around? Well, Maison Ferrand, the company was formed in 1989 uh, when our owner Alexander Gabriel and some of his partners partnered up with the Ferrand family. Okay, but the Ferrand family had been making cognac for over 300 years, and they were initially uh, cognac was their primary thing, right? Still is, but yeah. still is. Yeah. Well, yeah, but uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's you know cognac and literally in in, in in cognac in France is where all our base of operations is. Everything gets done there. The gin is made there. The uh, the rum is going to be aged there. Our offices are there. If you want to visit the plantation facility, you have to go to Cognac in France. And so the rum, was that an acquisition or was that something launched internally inside the company? Well, l- let me tell you the full story about plantation rum and how it came about. So, uh, in, you know, we, make, we made Cognac, first and foremost, the Pierre Ferrand label which is 100% Grand Champagne Cognac. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that we do, from our, from our $40 bottle to our rare $1,000 bottle, all 100% Grand Champagne Cognac. But the thing is, you can only make Cognac in the fall and winter months. You have to shut down production after March 31st, and you cannot distill any more Cognac until October 1st. And this is because of legal reasons in, in France? Uh, well, is it, it, it is, it is uh, a law, but I think the real reason behind the law is to maintain quality, because uh, they, uh, they don't want any uh, uh, fermented wines to sit. They want it to all be... Pull your grapes, ferment your wine, distill your cognac. And do it quickly, yes. Right. Okay. And then, then get it in the barrels. Mm-hmm. So um, we had those beautiful stills sitting there doing nothing for six months out of the year, and that's just wasteful and just you know made them crazy. And that's <laughs> when we decided to do the Citadel Gin. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, after some uh, uh, you know convincing of the AOC out there, they gave us license to, to create the gin. And we found uh, there were some extra expenses that we did not see. So, we had always had rum producers um, come, calling our, our, our owner, Alexander Gabriel, saying, send us some uh, barrels to age our rum. He never did it. He didn't want to do it. Some um, cognac barrels, right? Cognac barrels. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, we finally gave in and started selling some barrels to the rum producers to make up some money in the initial launch of Citadel. Right. Right? All right. So... Fast forward until today, well, it got to the point where, you know, he's like, you know what, instead of me selling you barrels, how about you send me some rum? And that's how it all got started. Interesting. So, so it was yeah. a, a trade agreement almost, yeah. Oh, well, just kind of, yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess it started that way. But um, there is no plantation distillery. Okay. We do own the West Indies Rum Distillery in Barbados, which is the largest one on the island. We do own a piece of the uh, Long Pond Distillery in Jamaica and the Clarendon uh, uh, Distillery in Jamaica. But, so that's where you get your rums from. Well, that's where we make, get some of our rums from because mm-hmm. the, the whole idea about plantation is it is a we like to call it the celebration of the to, uh, the diversity of toa of rum. That is to say that rums are different from country to country, island to island. Jamaican rum is very different from Saint Lucia rum, which is very Barbados. different from Barbados. Yeah. Yes, yes. and so forth and so on. So we're proud of the fact that we are producing rums from all these countries. So all plantation rum is going to be made in its uh, native style, 
It's going to in its native country, uh, and that could be pot stills, it could be column stills, uh, it could be it's going to be aged in bourbon barrels in its native country. We call that tropical aging, and then it all comes back to France, and we age it longer in the Pierre Ferrand cognac barrels. We so, call that continental aging. So all of the plantation rums, regardless of what country, wind up in France where they're aged in the cognac barrels before they're sent out. Is Correct. that right? Absolutely. Wow, that's that's very cool. And I'm I'm a big fan of uh, rum and a big fan of plantation too. I, I just Everything that I have uh, sampled from you guys I've thought was terrific. And I mentioned that the plantation uh, pineapple infused is one of the one of the go-tos at, at my house. Uh, but you brought some that you are think think particularly good with cigars. I think rum in general is very good with cigars. Uh, but tell me about what you brought and what we uh, what we want to sample here today. So uh, the first one I brought is our five. Get the camera right here. There we there go. You go. Yep. <laughs> our five-year Barbados rum. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is produced at our West Indies Rum Distillery facility. Um, we also brought a couple of vintage rums. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll release vintages every now and then. We see a lot more of them in Europe than we do in the United States. But this one is our Jamaica 2002 right here. If you had to describe the basic difference between a Barbados rum and a Jamaican rum, like as you're approaching the character of them, mm-hmm. what would that be? Uh, well, Barbados rum is fruity and vibrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit lighter as far as uh, um, uh, uh, mouthfeel, I think, than Jamaican mm-hmm. rum. Jamaican rum is funkier and just it's got that what they call the hogo. It's the Jamaican funkiness to it. And is that because of like in wine the terroir? Is it the is it the soil or uh, uh, in which the the sugar is raised, or is it a difference in the style of how it's processed and distilled? Where the sugarcane comes from, the mm-hmm. air quality. Is it next mm-hmm. to the ocean? Are they distilling next to the right. ocean? Are they aging next to the ocean? Um, is it pot still or column still? It makes a huge difference. Are they using a dunder pit? Um, is it uh, or muck pit as they say? Mm-hmm. Um, I like Dunder Pit. Yeah. I like Dunder Pit better, don't you, Ian? I'm so jealous. <laughs> well, this this is fantastic. Now, this is the five year, right? Five year Barbados. Yeah. Five year Barbados. Now so you'll notice just... a, a little bit more alcohol in the nose, though it's mm-hmm. only eighty proof, but it's not not there on the palate. But you're so right because when you are initially just kind of taking it to your nose. It does come across like it's going to have more of a bite than it does. It, this goes down very, very smooth and very, and very sweet. Again, with a with a just a very pleasant uh, sweetness on the finish that you expect from rum, but don't always get. Sometimes there'll be a bite on the finish that will not necessarily leave you with the same sweetness. But this is just absolutely delicious, and this is not an expensive rum, is no. it? No, you can find this on the uh, liquor shelves anywhere from like nineteen dollars to twenty four, twenty five dollars. I mean, that's crazy that this rum is under twenty five dollars. What was the price point on that? Like nineteen to twenty five dollars. Can you believe that? Get out of here. Yeah, I mean it's just that's awesome. Yeah, it's just it's just fantastic, and that's one of the things about, uh, and one of the reasons we're such fans at my house of the pineapple too. Is it's not an expense. What you get for that price point is just unbelievable. You know, that is a high price to quality. It really is. It really is. Index. That scores very high More on the P to Q. Um, so the Barbados rum is fantastic. The Jamaican though is uh, what what would we expect for the difference in for the difference in that in flavor again so it's it's going to be a lot funkier for sure you just Jama- yeah. jamaican rum has a definite fingerprint to it you definitely mm-hmm. know it right away when you're drinking jamaican rum I- i'm going to jump ahead um, okay I-, I do have our 2002 jamaican vintage right here but i'm going to let a little cat out of the bag we are producing a new 
rum. He's brought a secret bottle, Ian. Secret I don't rum. know if you saw that on the camera. I see or not. that. Yeah, the secret bottle. Secret Look bottle. at that. <laughs> um, this is a little sampler bottle, and the, the live product should be landing in Texas, hopefully by September. Mm-hmm. It's called Zamaica. Zamaica. X-A-Y-M-A-C-A. It's how the native Jamaicans uh, called Jamaica before it was colonized. Okay. Um, Zamaica. Zamaica. And what this is... Isn't that a Bob Marley song, Zamaica? <laughs> Something like that. I think is it, it might be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just... I, just thinking it must be so you know if i were to probably <laughs> so so is this is, is this a vintage or a specific blend specific blend it's going to be a blend of five rums all pot still oh my all now, pot this still. is so different on the nose from the barbados completely different so different, different ages different proofs um and um, i hope i get this right because we I mean, we just got this one it's going to be three rums from the claritin distillery and two from Long Pond. I might have those backwards and confused, but it's going to be three from one distillery and two from another one. We call it the Zamaica Special Dry because it's one of the driest. It is the driest one we've ever produced before, but it's not bland. It's not brief. It's still got plenty of flavor. It has that funkiness that you want from a Jamaican rum, but not super, super high in, in esters to where it's unpalatable without mixing. Wow. Cruz, tell me what you're smelling on that. Uh, it's it's what's the almost, nose? It's almost hard to make it out because there's so much there. Uh, whereas uh, on the uh, Barbados rum, you go to that and it's pretty straightforward in terms of the aromas that you're getting. With this one, there is. I I want to use the word funkiness. You smell the yes, funkiness, definitely. You know, uh, it's uh, it's definitely got more of an alcohol um, sort of a forward uh, aroma to it. You no, know, with a good Jamaican rum, you want the funk. You got to have that funk. Yes, it's almost. <laughs> we want the funk, actually. You know, uh, but well, uh, it's okay for booze to smell a little boozy. Well, and and it's also got and and this is a term I I know this is doesn't sound like a complimentary thing, but it's something that a lot of rums have, almost just this hint of rubberiness to the uh, not to the texture, but to but to the aroma. Like it it it's got a very it's not an unpleasant rubberiness, but it's just sort of like. I don't know. Maybe licorice is a better uh, rubber. Is a better rubber way. plant is definitely on the tasting wheel of rum. Yeah, no, uh, no question it, about it. it. It's, it's definitely, definitely there. But then, but then when you drink it, you don't get uh, you don't get a rubbery flavor. What you get instead is just this. <coughs> wow, this sort of uh, uh, it's. I hate to just keep using the word funky, but it is funky in the most wonderfully pleasant way. This is. One of the more complex rums I've had in a long time. Do do we have time for another one for this? Sure, let's let's do one more in this segment. So let's jump to Jamaica 2002. I want you to see the difference. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be one pot still distillery. It's not a blend of the different ones from that Mm -hmm. one. Um, And I believe, I think it's 10 years in a bourbon cask, two years in a... uh, a cognac cask back so in France. So I'll also say while he's pouring, Ian, this one not nearly as sweet as some rums in terms of the way it leaves you on the finish. Well, he said it was very dry. Yeah, it's, very yeah, dry. We didn't call it the special dry. And you you just get the impression that there's almost no cigar this wouldn't pair with, if that makes sense. Like it nice. feels like it's 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 such a broad and complex mix of flavors, but it wouldn't it wouldn't overpower something. Um, you know that that was uh, mellower, but it wouldn't fight with something that was that was more intense. So, 
And that one's like going to be that. line price with the uh, five-year Barbados. Uh, okay, so, so this was this was the secret bottle here, right? Yeah, we, we consider it a, a, a sister or a cousin product to the five year Barbados, where this is just your, you know, uh, you know, Barbados rum in a nutshell, and that's our Jamaican rum in a nutshell. Here. So your your Jamaican rum in a nutshell, your uh, your uh, say that word again. How you pronounce it? Zamaica. Zamaica. What what are we looking at? Zamaica. Price point on that one. Same as this one. About nine. When it finally lands, around twenty twenty five dollars. Wow. Wow, that does not taste like a uh, an under fifty dollar rum at all to me. I don't have anything over fifty bucks. Wow, yet that's, that, <laughs> yet that that does amaze me a little bit because I think, in, in, and I'm not encouraging you to do this, but in all fairness, if you put that on the market as a forty eight dollar rum, hmm. I don't think people would bat an eye paying forty eight dollars for oh, that. Man, don't give the guys in France any no, ideas. No, all right? I, and, and, again, I'm not trying to. <laughs> But but that's the kind of that's the kind of quality I think that that you're talking about. But but again, one of the things I love about the plantation line is it's such an affordable line of rums where you get really really good quality. I think at the well, at the know, under 40. I, I think rum as a kid. To be fair, rum as a category is still I, I think reasonably priced. It hasn't quite blown out of control like that we've seen whiskey done in the past. And even tequila, there, you can get some incredibly expensive tequilas. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but rum has. Although there are, some. there are some, it has it has stayed as a category. I think more recently. No, I, I would never say that a, a rum, that expensive rum, is not worth it. There are some that are very worth, it. and a lot of time it comes down to availability, how much they have. There's proof has a lot to do with it. Uh, um, you know, of course, years uh, have a lot to do with it. But um, you know, uh, w- 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 I do have some more expensive rums coming sooner, uh, sooner than later. But uh, for right now, I'd say the most expensive one that's on the shelves in the market is going to be. This one right here, which we'll get to later. Okay. Now, I'm really glad that we tasted these three in the same uh, segment because they are so different mm-hmm. from each other. And tell me again, this last one is the... The last one is the Jamaica 2002 Vintage. The 2002 Vintage. Right. So this is funky, funky in a totally different way. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's, got, it's got its own sort of dryness to it, but it's... Um, Wow, I don't know how it manages to do this, but it's less sweet, but still tastes totally like a rum. You know, I don't know. I I, I personally get more sweetness out of it, and I get a lot of butter on the nose. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've told this story so many times, but I can't, it is buttery. I, yes. I, I can't help but tell it. Uh, this was we were having meetings in France. Uh, we go every year in January, and it's just cold as heck. Um, but we're out there, and uh, we we have we have the European team out there, the American team, and we do have a house out there at the chateau. And the European team always, you know, sneaks into the house before we get there, so we stay at these <laughs> hotels. But the hotels are great; they're very nice hotels. But the downside is, you know, you can't just reach over and grab your bottle, of whatever you want. So this last time we were there, on our way out in that first night, we absconded with two things. We had a seventy-year-old Pierre Ferrand, the Ancestral, a sixty to seventy-year-old cognac, and this Jamaican two thousand and two rum. And I tried it for the first time uh, back then. And why uh, three of the other guys were tag teaming this bottle of uh, Pierre Franc cognac? I could not get my nose out yeah, of this no bottle kid. of rum. I could totally see that. Um, I mean, I just uh, it, it just it was just buttery and rich. And we have a Jamaican 2001, which was good, but it wasn't this good. Well, I was about to say this feels like something that you could just drink all day. Mm-hmm. That you know you could just sip on this all day, and it would not like be overwhelming. It would not be. Like too much, but it's something that kind of keeps calling you back in a way, maybe more so than even some of these other things that we've tasted. This is this one's calling calling my name, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I'm really glad, really glad we tasted all of these in the same segment. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
It's interesting that you say that because I find rum, and I'm kind of new to rum. Like, my dad loved rum, but he liked it in a big plastic bottle with a ship on it. <laughs> and, and I wouldn't say it was good rum, but he liked it. Yes. <laughs> if you like it, it's good. But, um, so I'm kind of new to rum. Like, you've turned me on to a lot of the rums, including the plantation one, which, again, that's become a staple on our shelves at all times. Uh, rum, I find, where I generally... With liquor in general, I like a little bit of ice, or I like it cold, uh, at least to start. Uh, even my whiskey, I like to put a piece of ice in there and then just taste all the different flavors that happens. And I don't find myself doing that with rum. Mm -hmm. Rum, even warm or room temperature, is delicious the way it is. Right. I find that an interesting aspect of rum. I'm the same way, because uh, you know, I, I do believe, and there's a lot of purists out there that say you never add anything to whiskey but whiskey, and I've always found it to be just nonsense because it, the fact of the matter is and, and, and even your 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 some of your producers will, will will tell you this that you haven't really tried a spirit till you cut through some of the alcohol and open it up sometimes it requires one right. drop of water sometimes it requires one cube but to be perfectly honest and, I, and and while you were talking i was trying to go back in my my rolodex memory there and think have i ever put ice in these rums straight i never have I, I, and, it, I, yeah, it didn't really occur to me to do that. I, ne I never thought yeah. about it until just now when you asked that. I, yeah. I never have. Well, I, I can tell you this. The, um, the rum is good room temperature, but it's also really amazing. And I'm talking about the plantation pineapple now. Really amazing in the bushwhackers that my wife makes, oh. which are these frozen That's It's uh, very popular in Alabama. Drink. You know, I was, oh, yeah. I was about to ask. Your wife makes a frozen drink using that plantation that, rum. Yes, using the plantation rum with the pineapple, and, and that's and what a it's called. Dangerous. That's what it's called, the bushwhacker. It's amazing. We had them. <laughs> we had them in the islands uh, when we were uh, down in the British Virgin Islands for my friend Dave's uh, daughter's wedding, and came back. and My wife said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out how to make these." And you know, she went on the internet, tried a couple of recipes, but but she didn't perfect them until she started using the plantation pineapple as the rum. That's that's when they just got amazing. So, I think um, we just got a new spokesperson. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. Uh, I think we have a little more rum to taste. We have some cognac. We didn't uh, get to that hemperer, so we'll get to that uh, coming up. And I want to report on your cigar, Ian, when we come back. It's smoking and toasting. This cigar is smoking beautiful. <laughs> Times. My nephew was talking to. I never heard of Bushwhackers before. Oh. Welcome back. It's smoking and toasting. Segment number four. Ian, either you have a very strange ringtone or there's some sort of tropical bird in your area because I'm hearing this uh, chirpy. So, so, so before they were mowing the lawn behind me, <laughs> we actually had a ton of these tropical bird sounds going on yeah. around me. And uh -huh. I thought that would be a great backdrop. Yep. Yep. It's, it, it's making you seem very exotic, I will say. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's very nice. So uh, here's a little uh, exotic sound for you. Oh, I love that. Yes. You know, I, I will say. I love that. When I was on Chris Hart's show uh, uh, yesterday, um, uh, which we had a great time and tasted some wonderful, wonderful rum and whiskey and a couple of great beers. But I really missed the sound effects. You know, it's it's the organic sound effects that uh, that I think in the end. That's probably the single best thing about our show. So, look what uh, I found. What is that? Unholy. Oh, where did you find this, Mr. Ian Barry? <laughs> this is a local Florida thing. Mm -hmm. The unholy, <clears throat> the unholy triple. Yeah. It is. Uh, uh, what does it say on the bottle? It says uh, 
sacrilegious hops, fruity and funky. Mm-hmm. And it has that funk in it that is fantastic. We've talked a lot about funk on the show today. The uh, the word of the show, the last couple of shows, has been dank. But uh, today it's funk. Today it's definitely about the funk. It's been a lot of funk for three white guys, yeah. for sure. <laughs> you, you, you're, pretty, uh, you're pretty right on about that. Now, speaking of both funk and dank, what we're about to sample here is New Belgium's uh, H, what they call an HPA, which is, I believe, standing for a uh, hemp pale ale. Uh, it is their hemp-infused uh, New Belgium. Uh, it says hops and hemp rain, HPA, and then together at last. And it is a uh, 7% um, alcohol by volume, and it is freely available at the 100% employee-owned New Belgium uh, brewery. So New Belgium is a great brewery. They really are. I mean, they that's what Fat Tire so many is their fantastic beer. Yeah, classic. Fat Tire is their is their classic sort of you know straight ahead uh, beer. And I always say what one of the things I never hear people talk about this with Fat Tire, but I love the chocolate on the finish of Fat Tire for an amber ale to have a chocolate finish is amazing. There's right. It has that multi profile, mm-hmm. and when you get one that's really fresh, yes. like it's just it, it tastes like bread that just came out of the oven with chocolate it's amazing so i'm very excited about sampling the hemperer and i don't really know what to expect so does it smell like otto's jacket it does smell like otto's jacket there's (laughs) no question uh in fact i almost burst out with hey little dude uh when i uh the aroma on this beer (laughs) yeah Uh, i uh you know not that i would have any real concept of what um uh a bud would smell like but my guess would be that what a bud would smell like is what you get on the nose with this beer it's it, it, this the flavor on this is so thick you can spread it on toast it's, <laughs> it's this is i mean it's uh, there's a lot mm, going on mm. to this beer well it's very interesting now does it have a big mouth feel like that yes huge pretty much yeah pretty much wow it's, I, I don't know that this is I don't dislike this, but I don't know if it's something I would choose to go out and buy a six-pack of and just quaff down. You know what I mean? It's more like a, isn't this interesting to taste with friends at a, at a, a, a little get-together? It's after dinner, and you've, uh, you know, you've had some really great lasagna, and you want to like, just uh, do something interesting. I think it's the I'm having one beer beer. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Very I think you're right. But yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I it usually save my. I'm only having one beer for the one for the half gallon jug of dead guy. <laughs> yeah. But you're only having one, right? That's when you tell your <laughs> wife, "I'm only having one beer." Yeah. Um, right. This is. Um, it's. I think it's more interesting than delicious. If that makes sense, it is very interesting, and I've got it nice and cold, which I don't think you would want this. Anything less than ice cold. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Some people like their beer a little warmer, but uh, I don't know. And I've been being from Texas. Well, maybe I mean, set, it's just, it's maybe set a sip aside and mm-hmm. see how it tastes uh, after the next segment. But Ian, I think you're right. Uh, as creative a name as the Emperor is, I do think they should have named it Otto's Jack. Get some grapefruit. I wonder that? if that's a. I wonder if that's you know a take what? on yes. what was that old book, the, the Emperor Wears No Clothes, yes. something like that. It was all about. <laughs> yes. So um, I want to. Uh, I want to update this cigar here. Please do. This thing has burned beautiful, mm-hmm. and it's burned long, 
and it is delicious. This is actually a more full flavor cigar than it led me to believe at the beginning of it. Interesting. But it stayed with that dry, I want to say, uh, campfire and wood. Mm-hmm. It's it, This is a great sitting outside in the sun having a cigar kind of cigar. It goes with everything so far. It's, yeah. uh, I've, I've been enjoying it. I'm going to give this at a $6 cigar that I bought this for. This is getting a solid 7 right now. Wow, Ian, that's that's a huge rating for you. You are not a man who passes out the big ratings uh, very liberally. Yeah? Unless it's a black and mild. Yes, <laughs> yes of course. <laughs> so we're hearing some thunder here outside our studios, which we can even hear through the... I can actually hear yeah, it here. Yeah, so, uh, so we're now uh, even more jealous of you sitting outside and smoking a cigar, my friend. So yesterday when we were walking up and down in uh, Ybor City, me and my wife, we were walking up and down Ybor City, and uh, like we overheard a few people saying, oh, I think it's going to rain, and it's clear skies i mean i can mm-hmm. point this camera straight up there's a couple clouds but it's clear and beautiful and i was like that's a weird thought and so we were sitting inside and there's a guy making a drink for my wife and we looked outside it is bright sunshiny and raining buckets yes yes sideways well you are in florida and having having lived in florida myself for a couple of years I can tell you that during the spring and summer in Florida, it rains every afternoon from 4 to 4.15, and uh, then the sun comes right back out, and uh, you would never know that the rain had happened if the pavement wasn't wet, you know? It's yeah, just- it, was, it, was, it was pretty amazing. And one of the things, like simple life pleasures, like after the rain, you know, you get that clean, ozone rain mm-hmm. kind of totally. smell. It mm-hmm. smelled so good outside. Yes, and because we're close to the Gulf, you get the sea air mm-hmm. smell. Yep, and all of that. It just—it was wonderful. Yeah, it does not smell like that when it rains here. So you were totally making me. And jealous. cigar, because we were yeah. in Ebor City. Yes, of course. <laughs> like everything smells like cigar in Ebor City, by the way. So I, I want to—I thought we'd go back to rum. We've got uh, a little more rum to try. I thought we'd go back to rum for uh, for this segment, yeah. and then in our last segment we do a little cognac, but. Uh, uh, but what have we not tried here that you want to make sure we sample? So I think the one that you have right there is is the cigar talking about drinkers this one? rum. Yes, the sir. cigar drinkers rum. Okay, yeah. so uh-huh. Ian just sat forward to uh, uh, to check I'm out the cigar drinkers rum. Uh, it's we're we're with uh, Greg Duxakis who uh, is with the company that makes among other things plantation rum, which uh, both Ian and I are big fans of. And it's interesting because you know we can be a little uh, snooty with our spirits, but these are not expensive. spirits. Spirits. Uh, what is the name on that one? This one, it's called, we call it the 20th Anniversary XO. Uh, it was created by uh, our, our team at Maison Ferron. Uh, it was almost a little bit of a surprise. It was a surprise for uh, Alexander Gabriel, the owner and our master blender, uh, to celebrate 20 years of Maison Ferron creating spirits. Mm. Um, and it's not 20 years old. Uh, you know, it does say 20th, the TH is on there. We're not trying to pull a fast one here. <laughs> it's about uh, t- 10 to 12 years old, though. All Barbados rums uh, and longer continental and tropical aging. So, is this a more expensive than some of the other ones? Yes, uh, this one you're looking at forty-five to fifty-five dollars. Forty-five to fifty-five. So, so more expensive, but still not in that ultra expensive uh, uh, category that you could find a few yeah, things in. Yeah, right? well, a lot of times that old category is going to oh. be like 30, 40, 50-year-old rums. We don't have any rums that old. We haven't right. been making rums that long. You know, right. we will someday. You know. Uh, so this one right here, tropical. Have on the you nose. ever taken your hand at, or tried your hand at at uh, blending? Me? That to me just seems fascinating. Yes. 
Yes, but not for Maison Ferrand. <laughs> <laughs> it seems fascinating yeah. that someone uh, can I, take these ingredients and create something beautiful out of it. I well, mean, much like a chef. And it's not just But to be blending, able to do that on a consistent basis. It's not just blending, but it would be blending and then aging, right? And then seeing what comes out of that blend after a certain amount of time. Well, it depends on what you're making. That's different than we do at, uh, at Ferrand, or at least with the plantation. Right. Uh, okay, well, so the one you're trying now... On the nose, mm-hmm. very tropical, a lot of coconut. Very much so, yes. Yeah. Uh, dessertish. It's rich. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's uh, um, it's sweet, but again, not too super cloyingly sweet. You don't get that Coca Cola syrup quality that you can get from some other uh, dark uh, um, uh, rich rums. Uh, as I right. uh, the rich categories, I call them because they're just not not Ooh. as in price, but just richness and, and viscosity. Mm. Wow! I just took the first sip of this. This is outrageously good. Uh, I I just I have one word for the finish, snickerdoodle. Huh? Oh wow! It's it's like that. You know that certain flavor that a snickerdoodle cookie mm-hmm. has. That's what I get on the finish. But it's not. You know, rums are sweet by nature. Obviously, there's always going to be some sugariness and some sweetness to rums. But what's interesting about the whole line of plantation rums and this one as well is even though we talk about all of these snickerdoodle and all these sweet flavors, these are not overly sweet in a way that's that's cloying or or would keep them from, let's say, pairing with a cigar, for example. It's not a right. it, it's not an overwhelming sweetness. It's just not a very sweet like a liqueur kind of sweet. Right. Thank you. That's a perfect way to put it. Yeah. I do and I, I do I think do think you'll find some rums out there that uh, can be a little bit over the top in the sweetness. So we spoke earlier about dosage, and that is the sucratose that we use in some of our spirits, mm-hmm. and we're definitely using it in most of the plantation line in, in that one. But it, it, it is a super small amount it's not there to mask anything mm-hmm. it's there just to round something out just to punctuate mm-hmm. the spirit and say now it's ready so and 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 to put it in perspective when we're adding uh, the sucrose to it if you were to take a cup of coffee and take one cube of sugar and cut it into 16 pieces and like that one sixteenth drop it in that's the influence it's going to have right. um, it, it's not there to dominate the spirit it's not there to mask a bad spirit it's there to complete it this is absolutely delicious. Uh, is, and is this easy enough to find at retail? This one, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Spe- so twentieth. Yeah. Uh, most most of your your, your better uh, independence, uh, for sure. Yeah. Mm, mm. Ian, we. Uh, What's the price point on that particular bottle? Uh, Forty-five to fifty-five dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, it, yeah. And well, well worth it. I can tell you that. So good price well, to quality index on well, that. Yes, absolutely. Even though it's you know a notch higher than some of the other ones that we've uh, sampled here and are talking about it, I would still, yeah. I would still put the price to quality above a five on this. Uh, you know, it, it would, it would not surprise me to be in the fifty-five to sixty-five dollar range for that. That's you know, just the, a very, very strong rum. This one, uh, it, it, this is the this is the Churchill rum. You know, when you have that long cigar that's going mm-hmm. to be smoking it for mm-hmm. a while and you want to refresh the palate, you know. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and do a little cognac and finally tell you about why people who drink are more reliable and more likely to show up for work than people who don't. That info is coming up. I'm intrigued. And you are listening to Smoking and Toasting, brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. We'll be right back. So I'm sitting yeah. here 
So I say we'll be right back. So I'm sitting here on cue, chirp, all chirp. Little lizards running across the yard here, <laughs> uh, buddy. They're little, little uh, there we go. gray lizards with red heads. <laughs> He's hanging out with you, Ian, waiting for you to fall asleep so he and his friends can uh, uh, can come nibble on your ankles. Uh, uh, this no, lizards this don't do uh, segment will be brought to us by this. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, not sure, my head I'm not sure what you're holding there, but yeah. uh, it was uh, interesting. I, I bought a cigar. This is a Nika Habana cigars, and the gentleman um, came in and asked. He said, "You're going to smoke this right now?" I said, "No, I'm going to save it till later." So he puts it in a bag, and he puts he puts it in a bag with some of the natural tobacco leaves. Nice, I guess, to help keep the uh, humidity correct on the cigar while it's in travel, but. <laughs> Pardon me. It's very nice. Um, these all these little cigar places around here, they're they're all just family owned. You know, most of them say family mm-hmm. owned since, and there's generations of it, mm-hmm. and they've been in Ebor City since forever. That's that's very cool. You should do like so you we're see them try do, our next offering. You should do like that. You see them do in some of the ads and like the magazines for cigars and stuff, where they've got the big tobacco leaf and they just light it on fire and they're just smelling the uh, uh, the aroma oh. of the burning leaf. No, no, I, do, I don't really want you to try that. I'm scared you'll burn your friend's house down. Or his beard off. I, I'm outside. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words of Ian. I'm outside. It's okay. Uh, so this segment may not necessarily serve as proof of this, uh, but according to a new study, uh, non-drinkers are more likely to miss work than uh, moderate drinkers, according to the study. Uh, if you think heavy drinkers are more likely to miss days of work, you are wrong. Teetotalers are just as likely to call in sick as those who consume heavier amounts of alcohol. This is according to a, uh, a, a new uh, report. Um, they surveyed more than 47,000 people in Europe for this study. And the questionnaire asked the participants about their alcohol use and the number of sick days that they reported over a course of four to seven years. After analyzing the results, they were able to identify five categories of drinkers, uh, ranging from people who don't drink to those who did moderately to those who uh, drank more heavily. Moderate drinkers uh, who were women had one to eleven units of alcohol a week, while moderate drinkers of men, uh, moderate drinkers who were men, I love this, I love this uh, difference here, had one to thirty-four uh, uh, units uh, weekly. Heavy drinkers had more than eleven for women and more than thirty-four for men. In the UK, a unit is approximately eight grams of alcohol, so a standard glass of wine is about two units, and a beer is about uh, like one and three quarters uh, units. So. Uh, anyway, the group, uh, the study rather, found that both abstainers and heavy drinkers had a high risk of sickness abstinence, but moderate drinkers uh, were the guys that were basically there for work. So, uh, I I think it's uh, it's a pretty interesting, pretty interesting study, and the fact that the heavy drinkers were no more likely to miss work than the teetotalers. And the moderate drinkers were the people who were most reliable in the study. Uh, I find that pretty fascinating. Again, and yeah, that's right. They got to go to work so they have money to buy their alcohol. Although you know the (laughs) the plantation rums are very affordable, which brings it 
brings it all uh, all back brings here. it all back around yes you ever, you ever been around a hungover european i stay home from that work also yes i would too that that's, a, that's, that's a very <laughs> that's a very good point um so you you had uh, one more rum you wanted to yeah say, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, so we showed you that uh the jamaican 2002 this is mm-hmm. another one of the vintages that we still have available for a short time uh the santa lucia 2005 now i don't know much about santa lucia rums you know what uh <laughs> we, it was a one-shot deal for us. In fact, the people who are producing it, uh, um, the, the distillery that uh, um, produces it, is no longer sourcing out rum to anybody else. So this is a last-shot deal. So, so I'm learning about St. Lucia myself for the first time. So uh, funky, but not in a Jamaica kind of funky way. It's completely mm-hmm. different. It's got some fruitiness on the nose, uh, dried fruit, almost mm-hmm. like baked fruit. Mm-hmm. But there is a little bit of a rancid quality to get it over like a bottle of vermouth, maybe set out one day too long. There's some deep, definite mm-hmm. rancio to it that it's not unpleasant, but it's definitely it's, there. Right. It's got a fermented smell yes. to it uh, yes. a little bit on the uh, on the nose. But something that, like you said, it's not unpleasant, but it's something that you didn't necessarily notice think, in the other rums. Yeah. I think we decided the word might also be overripe. Overripe, yes. Some overripe fruit, or maybe overripe. I don't know. It's just, just you're to right. Make it's it sound a, a little kinder. It's a little bit of funk. You're right. It's yeah. a little bit of funk, but you know we want the funk, so we gotta have gotta it. have that funk. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> hmm. so what's amazing to me is all of these different plantation rums that I've tasted today are all so different from each other. And yet they all have, you know, they're all consistent enough to all be from the same, you know, from the same place, but not from the same country of origin, but uh, but from the same rum maker. But this is a really, this is maybe the most interesting of them all. It is unique. And I don't it's, know if it's, it's, it's my favorite it. of the bunch, but I really do like it. And it's, wow, it's very unique. It's. It's something that it, that is a bit hard to put into words in terms of the flavors. We're down to about three cases left in Texas, and we'll never see it again. If you mm. like it, it's available. Mm-hmm. At, I know for a fact I saw it at Specs downtown uh, uh, um, on the shelf. Now, see, I would want a bottle of this in my bar, especially knowing that it wouldn't be coming back around again. Right. Because this is just when you're in the mood for something that is... You know, just just that little bit different, far uh, off the beaten mm-hmm. path. Yeah. Yes, it definitely is. It's very tropical, I think, uh, in oh, terms of its of its uh, of its flavor profile. But like you said, it's it's more of a dried fruit um, sort of a sort of a thing. And and I'm just trying to is, is it mango? What am I getting in there? There's something in there that I'm trying I mean, to identify. It's, it's like a fortified wine, or something like that. That maybe just, 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 just by a matter of hours has turned a little bit. It's just, but it's delicious mm-hmm. though. It's weird. Mm. Okay, Ian, I'm, uh, I'm very impressed. I must say, I'm very impressed. So jealous. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's hard to go wrong with plantation. It really is. Okay. So, um, so let's let's close by doing a little cognac. Sure. And cognac is really. Um, where the company began. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. As I said mm-hmm. before, the Ferran family made uh, cognac for over 300 years, mm-hmm. uh, but the label Pierre Ferran has only uh, existed since 1989. Uh, this is one of our latest releases. We've always done a reserve uh, um, 
cognac, uh, tasting age of 20 years. I don't quite say average 20 years old. Um, you know, we're, you know, there is an art to blending, and that's cognac across the board. That's not just a Pierre Ferrand thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cognac has a, a lot of uh, strict guidelines, um, and uh, we use two kinds of uh, cellars. They're going to be uh, dry cellars and uh, humid cellars, and they're going to produce different kinds of spirits. Uh, dry cellar is going to be very forward, very uh, a little stronger spirits, where the uh, humid cellar is going to be a, a little bit more mellow and, and softer spirit, and that's just due to the uh, moisture in the air. Mm-hmm. Okay? We're going to use, depending on what cognac we want to bottle, which one we want to produce, we're going to have different blend from humid and dry. Greg, um Maybe you, maybe this will make sense. Maybe it won't. But unlike rums, where um, I can tell you that I like almost all rums that I've tasted. Some I like much better than others. But there's very few that I just would taste and tell you, yeah, I don't care for that. With cognacs, I find uh, they're very black or white for me. I either love them or I don't really care for them. Is that... Does that make any sense to you? And and do you have any idea why that well, might no, be? It, it, it's hard to say because personally, I I have not met a cognac that I didn't love. Okay, well, I, I like cognac, I, and 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 you know when I said we're 100 percent Grand Champagne, to put it in perspective, you know Hennessy, uh, Remy, uh, Guasier, Martel make mm-hmm. tremendous cognacs from top to bottom. Uh, but the one, the, you know, usually the only thing they're going to offer you that's 100 percent Grand Champagne is going to be the one thousand dollar bottle, the two thousand dollar bottle, the really the Louis expensive ones. Yes. So we're very proud of the fact that, that everything that we do is Grand Champagne. But as I said before, they make great cognacs. Um, we just uh, we're very proud of the ones that we make. So when something is Grand Champagne, what does that mean exactly in in layman's terms? It means that all the grapes uh, were grown in the Grand Champagne region of France. Okay. Yeah, the so it's, are, it's it's about the region. Just yeah, it's like. got, it's got, it's got nothing to do with champagne and wine. Uh, the, the, the grapes that we use are going to be uh, 95, well, it was 95%, I think we're up to, down to 90% Uni Blanc, 10% Colombard. Okay. Um, that's in the, and there's like six or seven different varietals that you can use to make cognac. The mm-hmm. big three are going to be Uni Blanc, Folie Blanc, and, uh, and, and Colombard. And we use mostly a combination of, the, uh, of Uni Blanc and some Colombard. So, are there more restrictions on what can and can't be used about Ian I'm not sure what you're showing me there uh, on camera can we switch to Ian's Yuck. camera shot what is up there brother what that is just that? flew onto my glass <laughs> I hope you have another glass go inside lizards yes. flying bugs <laughs> run <laughs> I'm sorry we were talking cognac and suddenly I looked up and saw sorry a monster sorry about that I'm being attacked yeah. by- yes <laughs> that was a gross bug and I'm from Houston Texas okay I know gross bugs <laughs> Uh, so we were talking cognac, and uh, and and uh, you were you were. I, I do want to back up though, because yeah. I, I didn't quite explain the whole Grand Champagne thing. So when, when we say Grand Champagne, it is a reference to the amount of chalk and limestone in the soil, because we okay. have a higher concentration of chalk and limestone, more nutrients, more minerals, maintains moisture better. We're just going to grow better fruit. So you have Grand Champagne, Petit Champagne, Bordeaux, Fembois, Bonbois, Bois Audenaire. And that's the six regions. The further you get out from Grand Champagne, the less limestone and chalk. And so, in turn, the just, you're just going to grow the best quality of fruit with more chalk and limestone. Is that something that you knew before you worked for uh, for Maison Farm? A little bit. I, I worked for a distributor here for 10 mm-hmm. years. So, so I knew, you knew, I, I knew spirits, yeah. but, but, but not, not quite as... Uh, uh, 
you know, uh, uh, didn't know the gospel back and forth like I do now. So. Uh, that's got to be a really fascinating job to have. So it is. Uh, so so let's do some sampling here. Right. Let's uh, let's try a little cognac. This one is uh, the reserve <clears throat> double cask. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, uh, it, it's it's a it's a it's a spinoff. I should say it's it's a new variation of uh, of our old reserve, where we took the exact same cognac and aged it for one more year in Banyuls barrels. What does that mean? You know what? I asked the exact same thing when they first told me about it. I didn't know either. Banyuls is a French dessert wine, very uh, oh, very okay. rich, very mm-hmm. uh, uh, fortified, if, if you will. Um, and so, just that extra year inside that Banyuls barrel punctuates the cognac with some subtle sweetness 84.6 proof that's slightly higher than typical 80 proof and that's just to give a little extra mouthfeel um it's my favorite thing that we do right now and i can tell you on first sip here i am craving a cigar big time this cognac goes well with cigars this just feels like it would be perfect with an aj fernandez and i'm not i don't know that much about cognac yeah but i have i keep a bottle of cognac at the house and I use it um, to clean my pipes, actually, my smoking <laughs> pipes. Now, which brand are you using as a cleaner? Uh, the one I have is Decatur, and oh, it's it's an XO, and it's a pretty good tasting cognac. And what's nice about it is, after you're done cleaning your pipes, while I'm smoking a cigar, I drink the cognac. <laughs> it's it's my it's like my own little thing that I do from time to time, and it works great. Well, I'm just going to say, Ian, I believe that if you were in possession of a bottle of the, uh, um, how do you say that with the one er first? The, so that should mean that just means for, first. For yeah. First crude cognac means it's just the first best region. Okay, best if region. you were in possession of this bottle, you would not be cleaning your pipes with it, my friend. Nice. Yeah, uh, I think you'd be saving and reserving this. Uh, saving and reserving dr- it for yeah, that. I, I gotta tell you, just for drinking. So yes, there's a metaphor joke in there so somewhere. Yes. I'm digging deep, yes. and I haven't found it yet. But give me about two more minutes, and this I'm gonna have a great pipe cleaning joke. This is the show where we talked about milking, you know, uh, beavers. We've, so, we've uh, milked beavers. We're cleaning pipes. Yeah, uh, there's there's something going on here. <laughs> we're out of control. Yes, uh, this is really really good, and and it is um, it is not something that. Um, is it, it isn't sort of off-putting in that sort of uh, this is good, but I only want a little way. This is like, oh yes, I'll be drinking this and wanting another glass. And we got a you full know? line. We have uh, the 1840, which is a 90 proof one, which we created for classic cocktails. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the youngest one. We have the our, which our our flagship uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, Pierre Front is the Ombre, the one I left you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a Stella Sandonge, which is a selection of the Angels, uh, mm-hmm. 30 years old. Uh, and for a little while longer, we're, we're phasing someone's, some of our older connects out to do some really, really super cool stuff coming up soon. Uh, we have the Abel, which is 40 to 45 years old. And if you can, you know, it's still about 350 bucks. Get it while you can at yes. like specs because it's it's phenomenal cognac one of my all-time favorites and the ancestral which is 60 to 70 years old that one is gonna be around for a little bit while longer but but not much longer so what is your most expensive cognac uh we do have the rare vintages like uh, i think one of my favorites is the 1972 vintage it went for about 1500 dollars. so this is where in texas yeah, right this is where your uh, your company has the really super high-end uh, things available right i'm sorry what this, so the cognac would be where your company has 
some of your most high end stuff available, correct? In, in terms yes. of the, the as biggest far as age and price, yes, age for sure. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because sure. some of the Carnacs that we're working with have been the sellers for quite a long time. What I love about this, though, is this this really has the same feel to me as some of the more expensive cognacs that I have had and tried. And, and it's not like I'm a being them, but this, if you were to have poured this for me and, you know, described it as a much more expensive bottle, because what does this one retail for? $65, 70 Yeah. So if you described this as being in the $100 range, I wouldn't have batted an eye. So. Again, again, don't give my friends in France any yeah, ideas. No, okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, perfect at sixty-five to seventy. Uh, no, but, but I mean, but I mean, it's really good. One of the things I think your whole line has got uh, going for it is the fact that you make some extremely affordable spirits that come off as tasting a lot more expensive uh, than they are. I just almost fell on my chair because I just remembered that I forgot something. Oh, yeah. I could kill myself for this. What did you forget? Uh, it's one of Christopher Hart's favorite things that we do. We call it the Renegade Barrel. Mm-hmm. And we, we just finished up Renegade Barrel number one, which was bottled at 96 proof and finished for an extra year in Sauterne cask. And we're trying to track down Renegade Barrel number two. It's somewhere in Houston's warehouse right now, but we're trying to find it. It's going to be uh, the Fiafron Cognac bottled at 94.6 proof, I believe. Mm. And the finish is a chestnut cask. And we can't even call it Cognac because it's in a chestnut cask. We call it Eau de Vie de Vaughan. So, um, yeah. yeah, Chris Chris Hart is one of those guys, like, he loves chasing barrels and casks. That That is his passion. Uh, he does. In fact, he, once he hears this podcast, I'm, I'm going to get a phone call saying, so, are you saying it's here? Are you here? Are you saying it's here? <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah. But I, I, I'm sorry that I didn't bring it because it's, it's, it's not only a clever spirit, but we've got a clever story behind it. Um, we have uh, uh, some, the bottle work has got some zebras on it. And I want to tell this story, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. But uh, Eli Ferran eighth um, uh, is uh, uh, the eighth generation Ferrand uh, uh, cognac maker. And quite pro- and, and, and the most important one, you know, he, he, he you know, was uh, handling Ferrand, uh, the, the, the cognac production, when cognac itself just started to become a commercial hit, mm-hmm. uh, when it became widely respected as the finest spirit in the world. He, uh, we, we found record of him having correspondence with uh, some of the Hennessy family. We have correspondence with him, with uh, Gustav Eiffel, the man who built the Eiffel Tower. He was a real mover and shaker back in his day. Right. And he was a bit of a kook, like a lot of rich people. He was uh, um, uh, a bit of a... Uh, um, What's the word I'm looking for when you call the rich, uh, rich... Well, I can, I can answer this for you because if you are broke... And you're kind of weird, you're crazy. But if you're rich and you're kind of weird, you're eccentric. Eccentric, that's yes. the word I'm looking yeah. for, and you're absolutely <laughs> right. So, he, But he was a bit of a character, and he at one point, he, he had a, a, a zoo with all kinds of uh, exotic animals. Oh, And he brought in a zebra to pull his carriage. <laughs> and people were telling him, Eli, you can't do this. It's an untrainable... He goes, don't tell me what I can't do. He's like, you don't understand. Yes, yes. It's an untrainable animal. It's an untrainable animal. <laughs> he tried, and, 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 but it was, it was funny. He kept the zebra in the zoo. And we don't know if we ever got to pull that carriage or not. But when the AOC and Cognac told us that we could not bottle Cognac, our agent inside saw Tarncast 
and we found out that we could, we put a zebra on, on the label oh, saying, perfect. don't tell us what we can't no, do. <laughs> don't tell us what we can't do. That's right. With respect. Well, that, that that's a great story and a great story to close uh, the show on. Greg, I really want to thank you for being thank you. on. Uh, you obviously have a lot more stories and a lot more spirits, so we uh, should definitely have you back on. And I, I do feel a little bad not being able to share uh, these rums with Ian. So we definitely need to have you back on the show again soon. Well, anytime, I say, if you ever get Jeremiah and roll the dice back in here, bring it, oh. we'll, we'll, we'll bring it on. It'll be a okay, battle okay. royale. So let me just say, this is our 92nd show. On show number 100, we are planning to have a uh, to rent a big room and invite everyone who's ever been on the show you count to me be in. on for the same show. And we'll have, you know... Beers and spirits and cigars, the, the whole bit. And it'll just kind of be a free-for-all show. We really, really think it might make for some interesting uh, I, listening. I would love to be a part of that. You can count me <laughs> Okay, good. So we'll get you uh, with the details on that. And it should be uh, great fun. Of course, we'll have Jeremiah there and our friend, uh, our mutual friend, Chris Hart, as well. So uh, thank you so much again thank for you. being on the show. The spirits were fantastic. And uh, uh, we are big fans. Now, we have lost our link to Ian, uh, I can tell from the screen being blank, which is really kind of a bummer because he had told me earlier that he was going to end the show by jumping in the pool. And I was so excited that that's the way we were going to polish off the show. So if you are watching this on YouTube, we might have gone back and gotten footage of Ian jumping into the pool and spliced it in electronically uh, to do this. But for those of you on Facebook Live, uh, sorry to disappoint. But we do thank you very much uh, for listening. Smoking and Toasting is brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Uh, my name is Cruz. Thank you to uh, Adam, our uh, producer, to John Whiteside, our uh, technical director, uh, to Ian, my friend who is in Florida and maybe being eaten by lizards right now. We don't know. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Lizards got we've, him. <laughs> we've lost our video link. Uh, but to all of you uh, for listening, thank you. And Greg, uh, thanks for being on the show and cheers. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Have a great week, folks. Thank you. Yeah, it was a little uh, weird not having Ian here. It's always uh, uh, it's always a little more normal with him in studio. But-